Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here at Central Heights Church. Uh, so glad to share this momentous uh, day with you. You've heard the phrases, uh, if I don't eat soon, I'm going to die. I'm dying to go to that concert, or I'd die to have a drink right now. Maybe that chocolate cake is to die for. Such dramatic language. Really now, what would you really die for? It's interesting how death has become part of our vocabulary, and we know that it is an inescapable part of our life. That is not how it started. So we've been going through a series here at Central Heights called Kingdom Story, and in the beginning, the story really starts with the creation of life. But very soon, because humankind rebels against God, death is introduced to the story, and it becomes a common theme a son, quick, soon born, Abel, is killed. Genealogies, which not only tell us who has lived, but that those people also died. It wasn't meant to be that way. Death is inescapable, and it's pivotal in the story of the Bible. As we journey from the Old Testament to the New, we arrive at the person of Jesus Christ, and we see how important his death and his resurrection is to the gospel story. If, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, when you reach the New Testament, there's these four what are called gospels. The word gospel means good news. And they're four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's similarities between them, but there's also, also differences because they're telling the story to a specific audience with a specific intention. So as we would expect, there's differences between each gospel but there is also an oh-so-common theme, and it is this. A large part of each of the gospel's material focuses on the last week of Jesus' life as he approaches death and his resurrection. It's referred to as the passion of Jesus, which is Latin for suffering or enduring. It begins with his entry into Jerusalem as the prophet Zechariah, who we looked at recently, prophesied, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. His entrance into Jerusalem culminating in a brutal crucifixion on Friday with the surprise that is to follow on Sunday. And if we're going to understand and know Jesus better, then it's important that we get the significance of this day. We're going to look at Mark's gospel today, and it begins with a pronouncement. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We are reminded that in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about a coming king, a Messiah, a deliverer, and John the Baptist is like the last one of those prophets, and he's crying out to the people, get ready, make things right, get straight, repent, turn and then in chapter 1, Jesus arrives. It says in verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now imagine if your country, Canada, was overtaken by a foreign nation 
And you could still live in some sort of freedom, but you were now subject to the rule of that foreign country. It wouldn't be great. And that's what the situation was like for the Jews in their day. They, they live in some sort of freedom, but they're under the Roman rule, and they feel oppressed. They long for a deliverer. They long to be delivered, to, to be delivered. And here is this person who announces the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what a king announces. I'm the king. And the kingdom of God, with the, that long expectation for deliverance and the deliverer that you've been waiting for, I'm telling you, it's right here. Is he? Is Jesus that long-awaited Messiah, the coming king? Well, Mark is going to answer that question in his gospel and so the first half of his story, he accounts uh, one account after another of, of what Jesus taught, but also what Jesus did, the miracles that he did as he touched people's lives. And, and the way that Mark shows us this extraordinary work of Jesus, he does so in a unique way. Let me show you as we look a couple, at a couple of examples. Towards the end of Mark chapter 1, there's a leper who comes to Jesus and he, he wants to be made clean. He wants to be healed. And Jesus says, I'll do it. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And it says, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Don't say anything, but go show yourself to the priest. Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a, of a significant synagogue ruler. His name is Jairus, and he's concerned about his daughter, and he's heard that Jesus is a healer, so he comes to Jesus, and my daughter is really sick. So Jesus uh, consents to go with him, and he's delayed on the way, but when he gets there, the daughter isn't breathing, and, and Jesus enters the room, and he begins to talk. He says, Telitha, come I, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, this 12-year-old girl arises and walks. And they're overcome with amazement, and it says in verse 43 of chapter 5, and he, Jesus, strictly charged them that no one should know this. Mark chapter 7, they bring to him a man who's deaf, and he has a speech impediment, and, he, and they begged him, begged Jesus to lay his hand on him, and so he takes him aside privately, and he prays for him, and he says, be open, and it happens as Jesus commands, his ears are open, his tongue is released, and he speaks plainly. And what does Jesus say to him? He charges him, don't tell anyone. Not that anyone listened to Jesus, but Jesus is charging them, don't tell anyone. Come on. Do you get the irony of that? Jesus was calling people to follow him. Don't tell anyone. We're familiar with the term follower today, and we know what it takes to get followers. You take great pictures, really good selfies, you have a nice little sound bite that goes with it. You know, it's really cute, short scripts, very catchy. So this is what we would have expected Jesus to have done if he lived in our day, you know? Come here, Jairus. Yeah, your daughter too. Have her right here. Click. And then a little, little uh, tag that goes with it. Here I am with Jairus and his daughter. Just another day of miracles. Here's a selfie with this, this newfound friend. Click. Here's my friend. He can talk now. No longer speechless and deaf. Hashtag Messiah has come. Hashtag kingdom of God is here. But what does Jesus do? Shh. Don't tell anyone. 
be quiet about this. And this pattern continues in Mark's gospel till he gets to the middle of the gospel in Mark chapter 8. He's very strategic with this. When Jesus asks the most pivotal, pivotal question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they reply, John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe a prophet. And Jesus takes it personally to them as he does to each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers him, you're the one. You are the Christ. See, for a Jew, that meant you're, you're the long-expected hope of Israel. You are the anointed of God, the deliverer, the coming king. You are the one. And he's right. And what does Jesus tell him? Don't tell anyone. See, Mark is setting us up to understand in his gospel that we really don't know the fullness of who Jesus is as the soon and coming King, Messiah, unless we understand what his ministry, what his mission was for. And right after Peter has this revelation, uh, Jesus says to them in verse 31 of chapter 8, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And this won't be the first time that Jesus will tell his disciples this. Three times from here going forward in Mark's gospel, disciples, I'm telling you this, I'm going to suffer and die. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're, I'm going to suffer and die, and I will rise again on the third day. Guys, listen up. I'm telling you, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer, but I'm going to rise again. Mark wants us to know the Messiah's road to glory is through suffering. And we really don't get Jesus unless we get his call to do that on our behalf. And the disciples didn't get it. And Peter, fully immersed in the Jewish culture of his day, says, no, no way, Jesus. Messiah's rule. Kings conquer. And of course, if you're on his side, you rule and you reign and you conquer with him. And a little while later in Mark's story, a couple of the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest and later who is going to have the privileged seat at the right or left hand of the Son of God. But before we get all critical about Peter and the disciples, maybe we should take a look inward at ourselves. You see, the wisdom of the world that we live in, the, the culture that we swim in, even the desires of our own flesh is so often about self. It's about ourselves, about self-promotion. And it, it expresses itself in different ways, but it is not all that foreign. Financial power, I've, I've got more money than you. Organizational power, I'm on the right team more than you. Intellectual power, I'm smarter than you. Spiritual power, I've got more of God's favor on my life than you. And so not unlike the disciples, we jockey for position while the one we call our Savior and Lord and Master has set himself to die and give his life away. For Jesus, this had to be the way. Sin had brought death from the very beginning. Sin had brought death. And so Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, will take on sin by dying. His rule will and only come through suffering and sacrifice. Like washing his disciples' feet, Jesus would serve humanity 
He wouldn't coerce it. He wouldn't force it. He wouldn't overpower humanity, but he would serve humanity supremely at the cross. So Jesus is betrayed. There's a mock trial, and ironically, the Pharisees, who are super legalistic, break almost every law to, to convict Jesus of a crime. And the Jews, who have all their lives hoped for a soon-and-coming king, declare, we have no king but Caesar. And then on a cross is written this accusation of Jesus' crime in three different languages, king of the Jews. And that is how Mark shows Jesus to be king, through taking on suffering of humanity, dying for his people. Dark, painful, horrific. It's where sin, death, and the powers of darkness will do their worst, and so it is the place where the coming king, the Messiah, Jesus, will, will reign victorious and rescue the world through his suffering. See, this is the complete reversal of Adam's act in the garden. The sin of one man brought death. The sinless of another will bring life. Jesus pays the price for all the law-breaking, all the sin, all the rebellion of all humanity, and all the stuff that you and I personally have done. And he will fulfill Israel's role to be a blessing to the nations in the supreme act of self-sacrifice so that he can say, it is finished, done. And now new creation, new covenant, new relationship with God can be experienced. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. What would you really die for? Jesus would die for you. And what this means to us today is that by relationship with him, by, by receiving what he's done for us, by saying yes to him, we can receive his forgiveness, that all the things that we've done wrong before the presence of a holy God can be forgiven, we can be made right, and we now have this free access like children because that's what he makes us, to come into his presence and relate to him freely because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How amazing that we can enter into a relationship with the one who created the world and loved us supremely. What this also means for us, though, is that as we enter into his kingdom, we enter into the kingdom's way of life that he has shown to us. It wasn't about self-promotion. It's about giving your life away. So shortly after Peter's confession, Jesus had said this, and he called him to the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Jesus modeled this at the upper room when he celebrated Passover with disciples and he took the towel and he washed their feet. See, to be a follower of Jesus then is not to be just a person who says, I like Jesus with a click. To be a follower of Jesus is one who, like his master, Jesus, gives his life away to serve and to love those around him. The cross is not so much something that happens to us. It is actually a deliberate choice that we make to embrace the way of the kingdom and in so doing discover that through death to self, we enter a life that is extraordinary because it's his life. 
What would you really die for? Let me pray. Father, we, on this day, we marvel at your love for us, that you would give to us your son. We marvel at the love of Jesus, that he would be willing to go to such great lengths to save us from our transgressions against you and bring us into a new way of living as your children. Lord, we say thank you. We want to do that not just with our lips, but with the way that we live and so experience the life that you have for us. In Jesus' precious, beautiful name, amen.